Mike, because I think earlier when I had both mics on, did it sound muffled out there to you guys a little bit? So I'm just going to use that mic, this mic, if that's all right. The um, I wanted to, so Pastor Randy thanked the uh, uh, Coastal Community Church and welcomed Coastal Community Church here, but I, I want to say thank you to, to those of you uh, that are Deer Park Charter members. Um, yeah. It, I'll talk about this in, uh, in a little bit, uh, and, and for those of you who don't know me, my name's Joey, and, and I'm one of the new pastors here, so, um, but it, it takes a lot of humility to, uh, to do what you voted to do, and I want you to know that that's not lost on us, and that's a sacred trust to us, and, uh, and we are excited to, uh, we, we're all a part of the same family anyways in Christ, right? We're just now worshiping in the same location, and uh, and I'm really excited about that. And so, uh, so I want to thank you for your hospitality. I want to thank you for your warmth. I want to thank you for the times that I've been here already, and the way that you guys have received me. Um, and uh, and so I I appreciate that, and it just shows that uh, that you have a bigger picture uh, in in view, and that picture is the advancement of the gospel to reach uh, not just this community, but to reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation with the gospel. And so uh, I am excited about this Lord's Day. And so thank you for welcoming us here. Thank you for welcoming the Coastal Community Church people here. Uh, and we're honored to be here. And we're honored to, to mingle with you guys even at, when we go and eat afterwards. Uh, and uh, I know you guys are all... You're, Deer Park's a historic Baptist church, so we love eating, right? So, yeah, so we'll eat in a few minutes. But the, um, but thank you guys for having us. Uh, we are uh, eternally grateful for that and your hospitality. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Pastor Randy, yeah, Pastor. Pastor Randy started a week or two ago kind of uh, intersecting just where we are in, uh, in our series across the three campuses. We've been in the middle of a series uh, going verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. And so without missing a beat, we're going to go there. And this morning we are at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And so if you want to uh, turn there, you're more than welcome to. I believe the passages uh, that we'll be looking at are also up on the screen for your convenience. But uh, as soon as you turn there, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 2. Uh, and we'll get to verse 16, and then we will work our way, make some observations uh, of this passage of Scripture. And by God's grace, uh, Christ Jesus will be glorified. And so, so this is the word of the Lord. This is the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul. He wrote this to the church at Corinth, and he did this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is what he had to say. He said, open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We've cheated no one. I don't say this to condemn, for I've said before that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all tribulation." For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. 
Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For while you were made sorry, uh, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world, some of your translations say God, uh, worldly sorrow, produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore... Although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you might be in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we've been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I've boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is your unchanging word. God, this is your word that you've kept pure throughout all ages. And it's grounded in your unchanging character. And so, God, as, as I read this passage of scripture, we can have confidence that, that that's your word to us this morning. And, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would grant us humility. I pray your Holy Spirit would grant us eyes to see to discern, Lord, as we work through this text together, Lord, to repent in the areas that we need to repent of, Lord, to, to, to put our faith in Christ. I pray, God, that you would build your church this morning, Lord, not just build the saints up, but for those that are here, God, that aren't in Christ, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself this morning. And God, I ask for help, Lord, because on my own, Lord, I, I, I can't I can't communicate adequately. Lord, I, I can't communicate clearly. And so I just pray that your Holy Spirit would help me. And so thank you again for this time together. Thank you for this day of celebration, Lord, of, of, of this church becoming, worshiping as, as one body in this same building here on the Lord's Day. And we know that this is something that only you could accomplish. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, because we have Coastal and Deer Park coming together this morning, I, um, 
wanted just to give you a, a, a brief backdrop of, of what's been going on at Coastal. Last year, uh, we preached verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, or last summer we did. And this summer, we've, we've been working our way slowly uh, through the book of 2 Corinthians. And so we kind of find ourselves now in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. But if you know anything about 1 Corinthians, you know that that, that book is a confrontational book. Uh, the Church of Corinth is known for its dysfunction. The Church of Corinth is known for its sin. And the Apostle Paul being very instrumental in, in sowing the seeds uh, that eventually led to the church plant in the Church of Corinth uh, is concerned. He's heard, these, he's heard these reports coming from Corinth that things aren't good. And, uh, and that the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ is being hindered by worldliness. And so the Apostle Paul writes. He writes 1 Corinthians. There's some letters, other letters that he writes that we don't have record of. Uh, and then he writes 2 Corinthians that's to a congregation that's still dysfunctional, but there has been some repentance and some change of heart and some uh, receptivity that, that has gone on in the lives of of the saints, um, and so, and so the and, and, and so what we see here is a is a is a, a little bit more humility in Second Corinthians, uh, particularly uh, we'll find this in chapter seven, and uh, and before I get into the just the nitty gritty of chapter seven, uh, I thought that it would be worth um, reminding ourselves of these two promises that the Apostle Paul talks about in chapter six that. Pastor Randy hit on last week, uh, and it's not up on your screen. You can just listen. But the Apostle Paul, he quotes the Old Testament, and he says this. He's, he's, uh, the, this is the Lord speaking uh, through the prophet Jeremiah in, in one section, and then we see uh, uh, Moses recording uh, in the book of Numbers. But he says this. These are these two promises in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. God promises, he says, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Right. And then later on, we see this promise, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't, don't touch what's unclean, and I'll receive you. I will be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so we see that, that in Christ Jesus, these two promises in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 are fulfilled in Christ Jesus, and we see the Apostle Paul reminding the church at Corinth of, of the fulfillment that the Lord in Christ Jesus, through his sufficient work, has made this a possibility. He has accompl accomplished this, and this accomplishment is, is, is a comprehensive accomplishment. And so Paul here, he's reminding the church of Corinth, and he's reminding us 2,000 years later that by God's grace alone, Christians, they're a distinct people. If you call yourself a Christian in this room this morning, you're a distinct people. We're God's people. We're separate. We're different. And, and, and it's not because we're any better than anybody else. On the contrary, it's because we've recognized how sinful and broken we are. We've recognized how much we need intervention, how much we need Christ. And it's only by God's grace that we are who we are. It's only by God's grace that we can be a people that are counted as being a people in Christ Jesus. And so Paul, based on those promises and that reminder, he's telling them 
to act according to who they are now. Not to who they once were before Christ, but to who they are now. Be who you are. We're sons, we're daughters of the Most High King. And so, and we forget that sometimes, right? Even being 2,000 years removed from the finished work of Jesus Christ, we forget that we're adopted sons and daughters of the Most High King, and we get tempted to begin to act like orphans again. We get, we get tempted to begin to act like people who aren't in Christ. And, and we have to be reminded that to behave as if we're not in Christ really is to behave against our new nature, which is one that's completely washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so, so with that kind of as the backdrop, the Apostle Paul in chapter 7, he begins to move to some exhortations. And if you have a, a bulletin, the way that we typically do bulletins at Coastal is we, uh, if you are the note-taking kind, we have, uh, we have, we've tried to make it easy so that you can take notes. You can write in the blanks there. And so you feel free to utilize that if you'd like. And if not, that's okay too. But if you are taking notes, uh, the first thing that I'd like you to see is that here at Coastal Deer Park, we are in this gospel ministry together. Here at Coastal Deer Park, we're in this gospel ministry together. Remember, the Apostle Paul says, open your hearts to us. He, he, he commends this church, open your hearts to us. He says, we've, we've wronged no one, we've corrupted no one, we've cheated no one, and I don't say it to condemn but I want you to know that you're in, you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. And so as, as, as Deer Park and Coastal begin to worship together, we have to remember that we're in this gospel ministry together. Like I already said just a moment ago, the Church of Corinth, it was a dysfunctional local church. And dysfunctional churches, what happens and why the Apostle Paul was so concerned about the dysfunction at the church of Corinth is dysfunctional churches die and they cease to advance the gospel of Christ, right? Dysfunctional churches, they forget who they are in Christ Jesus and, and they, they begin to act like slaves to sin. Dysfunctional churches, they begin to grow timid in their commitment to the scriptures and to Christ. And they develop this spirit of, of cowardliness. And, and that, that begins to permeate the culture of a congregation really, really quickly. And so this is one of Paul's concerns about Corinth. And it should be our concern as a, as a local church as well. At the time of, of Paul's first letter, 1 Corinthians... This church, they were tolerating sin, right? If, you're, if, you're, if you're, you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, they were tolerating sin, especially sexual sin. And not only that, but they were tolerating teachers that had impure motives. And, and these teachers began to gossip about the ministry of the Apostle Paul and, and even a, began to attempt to discredit the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the apostles that were associated with him. And they were also tolerating teachers in their congregation that weren't 
making Christ the centerpiece of their sermons. They weren't emphasizing Christ. That wasn't the main focus of their sermons. They, they were busy talking about other things that they thought were important, and Christ kind of moved to the, uh, the peripheral. And so there's, there's lots to be concerned in, in because where Christ isn't central, if Christ isn't central in our preaching, if Christ isn't central in this congregation, in our personal lives, in, in us as a corporate people, then disunity and every other form of sin begins to abound. That's just the, the outward expression of Christ not being the centerpiece. Now, I want you to take notice of verse 2 for a moment, and, and I, I'm not going to neglect the rest of the passage, but I want to camp out here for a moment. But Paul, in verse 2, he's actually having to ask this local church to open their hearts. He's having to tell the church at Corinth to open their hearts. Right? And the, ES, uh, uh, the ESV says, uh, English Standard Version says, make room in your hearts. The NASB says, make room for us in your hearts. Now, as believers, as people who are under the blood of Christ Jesus, we should be the most hospitable people in the world, right? We should be leading the charge in hospitality. Even an unbelieving world should be looking at Christians as, as, as being this, this group of people that are really, really good at hospitality. But here, this church isn't expressing that. Paul's having asked them, and he was in, instrumental in planning this church, he was having to ask them to embrace him. He was having to ask them to embrace Titus into their ministry, and he goes on to defend their ministry and their character, not, 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 not for his own sake, but the, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3, Paul says, I've said this to you before, but you're, all, you're in our hearts already. I'm asking you to open your hearts to me, but you're already in our hearts to die together and to live together. So Paul, what he's saying here is whether we live or whether we die, I'm committed to you. Right? We're committed to you. That's, it's like a marriage vow, right? Have you, have you ever thought of your church commitment? And I think it would be healthy for us to, to think, especially those of us in these healthy marriages, to think of your church commitment as a type of marriage vow. Jesus calls us his bride anyway, right? We're the bride of Christ. He uses marital language when he describes us. And as I studied for this particular sermon, I was encouraged. And the reason I was encouraged is because I think the Lord has us in this very section in 2 Corinthians here because he knows that we need to hear it. And God's absolutely sovereign over everything, including the preaching calendar. But this morning... This is our first morning together as one church body, right? This is our first morning together. Deer Park voted unanimously for this to happen. Coastal at both the Yorktown campus and at the Gloucester campus voted for this to happen. And that takes, again, God-centered humility, and, and I commend you for that. that you, you hear of church splits, right? You don't hear of churches coming together. And so this is a very unique thing that we have an opportunity 
to do and to persevere in. But now, the rubber meets the road, right? It's, it's real now. And some of you may be wondering, like, what in the world did I, what in the world did I vote for them? Like, <laughs> like what, how, what did I get myself in? Some of the coastal members uh, may be saying, like, how, how did I get Joey to rope me into coming? And, and I want to acknowledge some of the random changes, some that you may have already noticed this morning, but I want to acknowledge some of the changes that you see. For those of you who have been a part of Deer Park, you've grown accustomed to hear Pastor Randy preach from the NASB. And those of you who have grown accustomed to Coastal, you're used to hearing us preach from the ESV. And this morning, I just preached from the New King James Version and uh, just, to, just, to, just to throw everybody off. The order of service is different for both the, the, the Deer Park Saints and for the Coastal Saints. The order of service is different. This is something that neither one of, one of you have experienced before. And this is our order of service that we, we're designing in order to increase our reverence for God and, and our vision for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's construction going on. There's not an accordion wall back there anymore. It's just... Uh, a, a wall that has to be finished at some point and there's going to be new carpet and there's going to be some more construction that's going on as the months happen and, and that's an unnerving change for some of you that uh, are Deer Park Saints. That's an unnerving change for those of you that are the charter members and, and that takes a God-centered humility for you to endure that, right? For those of you from coastal Yorktown, you're used to like 12 people being on stage leading us in worship through song and there were three people up here this morning, right? It, we're used to worshiping, Coastal Yorktown's used to worshiping with hundreds of people. Deer Park's used to worshiping with 60 people, right? And, and so there's, there's, there's changes that we're all going through here uh, together. Coastal Yorktown's used to a particular type of children's ministry and uh, some of you may be, uh, you might have been wondering as you were dropping your kids off, what in the world am I doing? I don't know, I don't know even how to get back to the children's ministry area, right? And, and so there, there's adjustments everywhere, and, uh, but now we're here together. Change abounds, and we're here together. And, and my point is this, we voted unanimously for change, and we did it for the sake of the gospel, but change is difficult when we get right down to it, right? It, re it really is difficult when we get right down to it. And, and the enemy loves to use change to divide us. He loves to use change to divide us. He loves to use change to create disunity. And the enemy wants us to focus on our differences. He wants us to focus on our preferences. He wants us to focus on our opinions and how things should be from our vantage point so that we'll forget about Christ because local church disunity and gospel advancement and maturity can't coexist. We forget about Christ and local church unity, disunity, it, 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 it abounds. It hinders gospel advancement and it hinders spiritual maturity. That's just the, the way things go. So, so as the Apostle Paul was commending the church at Corinth to make room in their hearts, what we're having to do right now is make room in our hearts for one another, right? We're having to make room in our hearts for one another. We have to persevere with one another. We have to commit to one another for better or for worse. 
much like a marriage vow. My wife and I, we've been married about a decade, and when she promised to stay married to me, she didn't realize how gross I am, <laughs> right? Like, I have sweat stains on my side of the bed, like, it's, I'm, I'm a mouth breather, like, it's, it's gross. But she's so far stuck in there with me, and, and there's gonna be so many things along the, along the way that, that we, may, we may get annoyed with one another, but we need to commit to one another. What better place, I was, I was talking about this whenever we were at, uh, uh, doing the informational meeting at, at Coastal Yorktown last week, but what, how in the world do we learn the things that God has taught us to learn in this process called sanctification, like forgiving one another and bearing one another's burdens, right? Persevering with one another. How do we, how do we learn about that stuff unless we stay committed even when we get on each other's nerves? And so, so we need to be committed um, to one another for the advancement of the gospel because we're God's bride. And, and my hope is that Coastal Deer Park is going to grow more and more into the image of Jesus Christ and be committed to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation uh, with the gospel. And so, so it takes humility um, to make each other feel accepted in the name of Jesus. And, and, and I'm nervous to use this passage, but Jesus told the disciples this. Well, he told them what it would take for them to be a people committed to Christ, Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to them, he said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now the disciples, the reason why I'm nervous to use that passage is because the disciples, they were like literally going to lose their lives, right? And so what... What we're experiencing, what some of us may experience in comparison to what the disciples were experiencing is, is minuscule. But, but we have sacrifices to make for the sake of Jesus. Right? We, we, and, 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 and we have to let go of comforts. We have to let go of opinions and preferences and traditions and, and potential grudges. And, and how can we do that practically? I just want to give us some handles on how we can do that practically. First, we, we need to get to know each other, right? We need to actually get to know each other. We're going to do a luncheon in just a minute, and, and Pastor Randy already mentioned it. He's going to give us instructions at the end of the service. But walk with some people over to the fellowship hall that you don't know. Sit with some people at the tables that you don't know. Like, let's get to, to know one another in Christ Jesus. Secondly, and I mentioned this already, we need to bear with one another, bear each other's burdens. We're, when one part of the body hurts, all of us should hurt because we're all a part of the same body. We've got to remind ourselves that, that in Christ, we're on the same team. We're, we're, we're not on opposite teams, we're on the same team. We have to assume the best of each other. That's a, that's a difficult one. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that, right? We've got to assume the best of each other. We shouldn't ever assume the worst of a brother or sister in Christ. We shouldn't assume the worst of anyone, right? But we always need to assume the best of the motives of the people that we're serving alongside of. We have to commit to never gossip about each other, right? That, that'll kill a church very quickly. So we've we got to commit to... to to, to not gossip and when one of us is tempted to gossip we need to be quick to correct that brother or sister in a gentle way this is gossip this is leading us into sin there's no place for this in God's house 
we got to forgive one another. And I think this is a spiritual discipline that has to be cultivated. But we, gotta, we, we practice forgiveness by staying committed to one another. And then we stay committed to each other because Christ is committed to us. Right? We don't leave just because things are difficult. We don't leave because someone ruffles our feathers. Right? Our commitment to one another says something practically about Christ's commitment to us. Practically speaking, right? Did, did Christ leave? Does Christ forsake us? You can answer it. It doesn't have to be rhetorical. He doesn't forsake us, right? And he promises that he never will. And, we're, and since we're called to be like Christ, we have to be committed to one another because we're committed to Christ. And so to be Christ-like is to be committed to one another. So that's point number one. <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking. The uh, point number two: we lead through our Christ-centered repentance. We lead through our Christ-centered repentance. Right? That starts with verse eight. Even if I made you sorry with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, in all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Right? Paul, he's writing this confrontational letter to this church, and in 2 Corinthians, they're responding well. By God's grace, they're, they're beginning to respond well. And at Coastal Deer Park, we have to learn to, to humbly confront each other with our sin, but primarily... We need to be mindful of our own sins that we bring. We shouldn't be so worried about the sins of those who aren't believers primarily. Those sins that, that, that we observe from outsiders looking in, those sins come from this, this deeper issue, this, this issue of unbelief. And we're speaking to unbelief, but, but we win folks to the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they respond by repenting of their sin and placing their faith in Jesus. But... We need to be primarily concerned, not so much with the world's sins, we need to be primarily concerned with our own sins first. Right? We lead at Coastal Deer Park, we lead through our own repentance of sin. That's how we lead our, our homes as men. Right? We lead through repentance of our own sins. And that's how we lead as a corporate body of believers that's called to push back on the darkness in this world. We lead by confessing our sin and repenting of sin. We, we lead by modeling what repentance and faith look like. And so, so not only is that reconciling us to, to God and to other people, but it's, it's this evangelistic, um, uh, uh, there's an evangelistic, evangelistic piece to it as well when we're faithful to see our own sin. Jesus talks about the plank in our own eyes, right? And so we need to be mindful of that. Uh, and in this passage, 
you see two things. You see sorrow of the world, and you see godly sorrow. Now, sorrow of the world, it produces a, a fake repentance. And, and I've seen this, and I'm just speaking, I'm speaking to the church here. Because I see this in the context of the local church all the time. But, but there's this fake repentance that, that comes from this worldly sorrow that leads to death. And, and people express this type of sorrow all the time. And let me give you a picture of somebody who has the sorrow of the world that leads to death. First, this person stinks at apologies, right? This quick, I'm sorry, no big deal. Can we just move on, get past it? We don't want to talk about it. Some of the wives are nudging the husbands at this point, right? Secondly, there's distance in their relationship with God and with other people. So, so isolation is a big fruit in the life of someone who has worldly sorrow. They, they isolate themselves from people. Third, they blame shift. Right? I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't have said that. Right? There's this constant back and forth of blame shifting where they try to cover their sin up or they try to hide their sin they, they never they're never quick to volunteer confession right they, they typically get caught is how we find out about their sin and then there's no eagerness for change they don't feel the gravity of their offense to God and and the gravity of their offense to others and if there is change the change is temporary and they want everybody to notice that they've changed right like two weeks in look I'm different. Why don't you acknowledge how different I am? And if people don't notice how different they've been for two weeks, they get angry and they end up falling right back into their old ways. These are characteristics of worldly sorrow that, um, that the Apostle Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And then there's godly sorrow. And godly sorrow, it looks a lot different. And, and, and here are some elements of godly sorrow that Paul speaks of when um, he talks about repentance and faith in Jesus, which, by the way, are two sides to the same coin, right? You can't have repentance without faith. You can't have faith without repentance. Those two things go together. But, but in verse 9, we see that there's a genuine grief over sin. Right? Where else do we see genuine grief over sin. My mind goes to Psalm 51, 4, right? The Apostle Paul who's sinned against Bathsheba. He's killed Uriah by putting him uh, in the worst part of the battle on the front line. And so there are clearly some people that he has sinned against, but he sees his sin primarily as this vulgar sin against God. And he cries out in this moment of desperation against you and you only have I sinned. Right? When's the last time just being honest, us as believers, when is the last time we've confessed our sin in that way? God, against you and you only have I sinned. Godly sorrow and repentance, it leads to reconciliation to other people. That's verse 9. So, so the isolation begins, the walls begin to come down, and you begin to see people that come back into community. They begin to come back into fellowship with one another. And so we see, we see that godly sorrow leads to people desiring to be in community, and a part of that is because they desire to be held accountable. They're walking in the light. They're no longer walking in the darkness. They're no longer covering their sin and their shame. 
Even more importantly than that, verse 10, godly sorrow leads to reconciliation to God. Right? So not only is there a horizontal reconciliation with relationships, but there's primarily this vertical relationship between us and God. And then in verse 11, we see that godly sorrow leads a person to do whatever it takes to repent and be reconciled. They're willing to do whatever it takes. Uh, a part of my educational background is counseling, and I sit with a lot of people counsel in, in counseling sessions, and I can tell the difference very quickly, usually after five minutes, between a person who uh, is willing to do anything to repent of sin and be reconciled to God and other people versus someone who's just going through the motions and is exhibiting some sort of worldly sorrow. Because sadness, I see a lot of sad people in my counseling office. Sadness doesn't, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that cry tears, but that doesn't equate to genuine God-centered repentance. And so there's worldly sorrow that leads to life because of an authentic repentance, and then there's or because of uh, there's a worldly sorrow that leads to death because of an inauthentic repentance, and then there's godly sorrow that leads to life. So, so we have to at Coastal Deer Park and at Coastal Yorktown and at Coastal Gloucester, we have to be a repenting church, and we have to model this. We have to be quick to confess our sin to God and others. We got to be quick to forgive other people of our sin and not gossip about them or hold a grudge and. And we have to be quick to flee to Christ who endured the wrath of God for our sake so that we can continually express repentance and faith. So we should, our sin should always be driving us to Jesus Christ. Third, your pastors and your elders are held accountable to God. Your pastors and elders are held accountable to God. Verse 12, Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered the wrong, but that our care for you, you could underline this if, it, if you like writing your Bible, in the sight of God might appear to you. Paul's saying here ultimately that he confronted this worldly church of their sin because his care for them was in the sight of God. It was in the sight of God. I don't want that to, to be lost on us this morning. And ultimately, Paul knew that his ministry's aim was to glorify God. That was, that was the focal point of the Apostle Paul's ministry. And the people at Corinth, as, as just a fruit of that would benefit and be cared for well and they would see that Paul was for their good because his aim was chiefly to glorify God and I want you to know that, that your, your pastors and your elders are held accountable to God we, we shepherd in the sight of God both publicly and privately and, and as an elder at Coastal I say that with fear and trembling I will give an account for the faithfulness and hard work of my shepherding All right, we have a couple of, of pastors and elders that are with us this morning they will give an account for the quality and integrity of their shepherding 
Pastor Randy will give an account for the quality and integrity of his shepherding. And at Coastal, we shepherd in community. We shepherd with other pastors and, and with other elders. Isolation, we believe, is unhealthy. And so we hold each other accountable. And we, we hold each other accountable even for the things that we teach. We confess our sins to one another. We remind ourselves of the gospel because we're so prone to forget it, even as elders and pastors. And we shepherd this church knowing that we're doing it in the sight of God. And we're going to be held accountable. I was reading through the book of Galatians this week, and I was, I was reminded of this very thing the Apostle Paul says. I don't know if I have it on the screens or not, but in Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we've received, let him be accursed. I want you to rest assured at Coastal Deer Park that you have shepherds here that are committed to the unchanging gospel that was delivered by God through Jesus to the apostles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and God has kept this gospel, he's kept his scripture, he's kept his word pure throughout all ages. And so what we hold in our hands is God's word, and our commitment is to rightly divide it week in and week out for the glory of God and for your good. So I say that and, and ask for your prayers. Pray, pray for us. That, that we shepherd well, that we, we do this well. Finally, and I'll keep this short for time's sake, point four, our common obedience in the gospel leads to our common comfort, confidence, and joy. It says, therefore, we've been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I've boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so, our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers that the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you and everything. And being a part of a local church is committing yourselves to a group of people that are committed to Jesus Christ as you stay committed to Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Being a part of a local church is being committed to a, committing yourselves to a people that are committed to Jesus as you stay committed to Jesus. And together, it's our joy to obey the Lord in response to the gospel. And as we commit to the Lord together, there's this, in verse 13, it says there's this refreshing in our spirit. There's this celebration of what God's doing in, in the lives of others as opposed to jealousy or envy. There's this growing affection that we have for each other. And there's a growing confidence in one another as we faithfully represent Jesus both in and out of the context of the local church. And so with that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And, uh, and we're going to go out singing a song. And then Pastor Randy's going to come up and give us a few instructions and, and read a benediction. And we will go from there. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I do thank you that it's, it's unchanging, Lord. It's enduring, God. And um, 
And God, I just thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and worship you in spirit and in truth. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would continue to draw us together as one body, that you would help us to persevere with one another in unity, not for unity's sake, but for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we want to be a church that's committed to advancing the gospel and building your church. So thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for not just saving us, but for giving us a job. To herald the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we love you, and we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name.